You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.fin. Um, so it's great to be with you guys this morning. Um, we're going to be continuing on in our series in Act, um, thinking about Christ, His church, and His cause. And today we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 14. Um, but before we open the passage, I thought maybe it would be good just to kind of set the scene to recap a little bit about where we've got to in the story so far. So we have Paul and Barnabas are on world tour, basically. They're, they're traveling around the eastern Mediterranean and they're preaching the gospel to Jews, but also to Gentiles, to um, non-Jewish people. And both are um, responding and um, coming to faith and they're seeing incredible things as they go. They're seeing people filled with the Holy Spirit and they're seeing miraculous things happening. But it hasn't been plain sailing. Actually, basically everywhere they go, they seem to be encountering this um, resistance or opposition. And often they're kicked out of somewhere or they have to leave because um, the people are trying to kill them. So as we pick up the story today, um, they've just found out about a plot to kill them in Iconium. And they have fled that city to move on to preach in a city called Lystra. So reading from Acts chapter 14, verse 8. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So um, last year, I watched the new Bond movie. Or not so new anymore, I guess, but... Um, I love a good Bond movie, and I think part of that is you kind of know what you're going to get, right? There's going to be uh, excitement and explosions and fun wee gadgets. There's going to be at least one car chase. Um, you're going to have a creepy villain with tons of henchmen that are like super elite, but as soon as James Bond's around, suddenly they forget how to shoot in a straight line. And, you know, um, there's going to be a, a love interest. Bond's probably going to drink a martini at some point, and he's going to introduce himself with his full name to everyone, even though he is actually supposed to be a secret agent and has a code name. 
Um, but these are some of the marks of a Bond movie. You kind of know what to expect when you go, but you're still absolutely in for the ride and you know it's going to be a good time. Um, in the passage today, Paul and Barnabas are also on a kind of mission. And um, as we go through the passage this morning, I wanted to kind of pick out some of the marks of the mission of the kingdom of God and think about kind of what they mean for us as a church as we're trying to advance the kingdom in our own uh, culture and in our own context and in our own communities. So the passage starts with um, this miracle, an amazing, clear-cut, undisputable miracle. We've got this guy in the crowd who has never walked and, um, you know, Paul looks at him and through the power of the Holy Spirit sees that he um, has faith to be healed, calls him out and the guy just jumps up right away. And the crowd obviously is amazed in that moment. As we've been going through Acts together, you know, this is one of the common themes we see. Um, one of the marks of the kingdom of God, of the mission of the kingdom of God is miracles. When we take part in what God is doing, we get to see the Holy Spirit at work and we get to participate in that. But we see in the passage here that the miracle actually doesn't happen um, in isolation. It actually happens as Paul is speaking and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Verse 9 tells us about the man who was healed. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. So the context of the miracle is that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is being preached. And actually just before the passage we read in verse 3, there's um, an even stronger link made. It says, So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The miracle is a demonstration of the good news that Paul is um, preaching about. It's meant to confirm his message. Um, it's meant to show that um, there is real power in the name of Jesus. Like that verse says, it's a sign. It's actually meant to point, and it's meant to point to Jesus. The works and the word here are linked, and the purpose of both of these things is to um, increase and to advance the kingdom of God. They show and tell, and they announce that the kingdom is near, and then they demonstrate what that's like. So miracles are part of the mission of the kingdom of God. They're part of the deal when we sign up to be a part of that. But as we can see from the passage, um, things don't always go exactly to plan. There are misunderstandings. Um, before I went to uni, I went on a, a gap year to Calcutta. And as part of that, you know, my team and I, we were helping in a school for kids that um, lived on the street. And one day we were having lunch with the guy that um, was the head of this organization. He'd started this charity. And he was telling us how, you know, he and his wife had started with these five kids, just teaching five kids in a room. And then uh, now they had like eight schools with hundreds of children. And they had um, these two boarding schools where the kids could go and um, have a place to live as well. And it was just this amazing story. And so we asked him, like, how has that been possible? How have you gone from you know, such humble beginnings as it were, to like having this amazing um, ministry. And he said, um, my father is very rich. And so I was like, oh yeah, cool, cool. So, you know, is he like, is he a business guy? Like, does he run his own company? Is he in like oil or something like that? Like, how did he make his money? Um, 
And he just sort of smiled at me for a second and very graciously, he just said, I was talking about my heavenly father. Mm. Yep, yep, that, you know, it makes sense. And as soon as he said it, you know, it was a little embarrassing to have missed the point, but it seemed really obvious as soon as he said it. But you know, my thinking and my preconceptions and my ideas had led me um, to basically completely misunderstand him. He'd actually been trying to give glory to God for his rich generosity and the provision that had grown his ministry. But I and my friends on my team had um, actually attributed that to a, his human father. In a similar way, um, the people of Lystra here seemed to just totally miss the message that Paul is preaching. And then things take a pretty weird turn when they're trying to you know, sacrifice to them. And I think as we read, it can seem like a massive jump. You know, Paul's talking about Jesus and suddenly these guys are trying to worship him and Barnabas and um, calling them Zeus and Hermes. Um, but actually, as I've been doing a wee bit of research this week, I've kind of stumbled onto a couple of things that I think um, give a bit of context to that and help us understand where that misunderstanding has come from. So there was a legend in that region um, recorded by the Roman poet Ovid um, that actually tells of a time when Zeus and Hermes walked through that region um, and they were seeking hospitality. It says they went to like a thousand homes and they found them all locked and bolted until finally this elderly couple um, take them in and you know they prepare the best meal that they can for them with the limited resources that they have. But as they're speaking, you know, the gods eventually reveal themselves as gods and they say, basically, hey, you know, this region, we don't like it. Like nobody showed us any hospitality. So we're going to destroy it. We're going to wipe everyone out. But we will spare you since you showed us hospitality. And then they walk up a hill, drown everyone or flood the whole place. And the two, the elderly couple become their priests in the temple. So, you know, if that's what you've grown up with, if that is your um, kind of cultural context, that is... Um, your idea of the gods and someone shows up in your town two guys performing signs and wonders doing these supernatural things you know it seems understandable to me that if there's any chance that you think that might be Zeus or Hermes like you're going to want to show them some pretty good hospitality because otherwise you might end up just getting like totally wiped out so they have these like preconceptions about God or gods in their case um, that come from their culture, and just like me, these lead them to actually miss the point. They hinder their ability to understand the message of the gospel. So obviously this situation is not ideal, um, but I think there is actually an encouragement we can take from it, um, and that's that in the mission, or one of the marks of the mission of the kingdom of God is that there will be misunderstandings. And um, maybe that doesn't sound like much of an encouragement, but... For me, you know, I think about the Apostle Paul, one of the most influential missionaries and church planters and biblical writers in history. And he was actually misunderstood when he preached. Maybe then it's okay if that happens to me or if that happens to us as we are telling people about Jesus. I, I'm definitely feeling that as an encouragement this morning. I think it brings a, a freedom into our lives, like... I'm not sure if you do this too, but for me, I think we can often um, 
shy away from sharing our faith with friends, people who we deeply care about and would love to introduce to Jesus. But we can chicken out because, you know, we're worried that we might say the wrong thing or give them the wrong idea about God or maybe even put them off. Um, and obviously we want to present the most accurate um, picture of who Jesus is as we can. But I think what the passage shows us is actually there is grace um, for misunderstandings. And I think we can learn a lot as well from the way that Paul um, responds to this situation. So he doesn't just leave the people with their views, but he actually uses the misunderstanding as an opportunity to deliver his message, to address the people's misconceptions and to redirect them from the things they have been worshipping um, to point to God and to glorify him. And as he does this, I think there's two things that we can, can really learn from. So the first one is in his message, he uses ideas and um, concepts and language that are meaningful to the people of that culture. You know, I've heard someone say that good communication isn't just about the things that we say, saying them, you know, um, elegantly or um, even in a logical way. But actually, it's about whether the person you're speaking to understands what you're saying. So it's a two-way thing. And Paul here, he doesn't, um, he doesn't speak to, to these guys in Lystra the same way that he would speak to the Jews in the synagogue. You know, when he speaks in the synagogues, he goes through the Old Testament. And he talks about the law and the prophets and he shows Jesus as the fulfillment of all those things. But... These people don't have that tradition, don't have that history. And so he uses nature, something everyone understands. He talks about the God of creation um, as the basis for his argument. He talks about God's provision of rain and food and joy, things which, you know, these people might have attributed them as gifts for various different, from various different gods, but Paul uses them to highlight God's kindness and his generosity to people who haven't heard of him before. And as he's, as he's framing his message in this way that everyone can understand, um, the second thing I've noticed is that actually he's not afraid to call people out. He's not afraid to confront the culture. You know, the people in this town clearly take their religion and their gods really seriously. But Paul actually says, turn from these worthless things to the living God. The things that the culture holds up and honours and worships, Paul calls them worthless. Um, I think, you know, for me reading this, I felt that that was relevant for us as well in our culture and in our time. You know, we maybe don't see as many people running around worshipping Hermes and Zeus, but I think in our culture, we have made our own gods, actually. We've made gods of consumerism and power and money, fame, sex, image, our own comfort. And, you know, we can so often get caught um, chasing these things that glorify ourselves or serve us, that it, it can basically seem like everyone is their own God. And I think, you know, the things on that list, if we're honest, there are probably things there that we all, certainly for me, that we struggle to keep out of God's place in our life or, um, you know, times when we have lived in a way that glorifies us instead of pointing to and glorifying God. But actually, the thought for Paul and Barnabas, the thought of 
them getting glory that only God deserves is actually so upsetting to them that they tear their clothes. You know, in the previous passage, they find out that people are planning to stone them, but they don't tear their clothes. They don't tear them when they find out people are trying to kill them, but they tear their clothes when they find out that people are planning to worship them. Paul's appeal is to turn from these worthless things to the living God. I think in this passage and in this um, appeal from Paul to the people, we can also find a call to recenter ourselves on God so that the message of our life and the mark of our mission is to point to Jesus and to bring him glory. So we've had a miracle. There's been a misunderstanding and Paul through his message has just about managed to turn it around and get the crowd back on side. And um, you can imagine him and Barnabas sort of turning to each other like, okay, close call. We've got him back. Let's go um, back to Jesus. But then these guys show up and um, turn the crowd against them. And for the record, these guys are committed. They have, some of them have walked um, around a hundred miles just to go and cause trouble and to stop people um, from buying into Paul and Barnabas' message. So just like that, things get pretty ugly and Paul um, ends up being stoned. It would be great to say, wouldn't it, that this is just like a, a one-off thing. But actually, as we've been going through Acts, um, it's definitely a theme. Like one of the marks of the mission of the kingdom of God is this um, mess, this mistreatment. In this case, almost a murder. Um, whenever the kingdom is taking ground, there's opposition. And for Paul, you know, it just seems to follow it everywhere he goes. It would be, I think, really easy for him to become um, discouraged in that. You know, we're not even sure from the passage whether he actually finished what he was trying to say to the people. You know, he just won the crowd back and then they turned against him immediately. And, um, you know, they try and kill him. They only stop because they actually think he's dead. But he gets up outside the city. It says, Paul got up and he walked back into the city. As beaten down, as defeated as he must have felt in that moment, I think he... Um, understood that part one of the marks of the mission of the kingdom of God is that actually sometimes it leaves marks on us. He understands this um, as our calling and as part of his personal calling. You know, when um, Paul or Saul, as he was at the time, um, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, um, God sent this guy, Ananias, to him to restore his sight. But before sending him to meet Paul, God speaks to Ananias and he says, this man is my chosen instrument to, pro to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So God calls Saul, the persecutor, to become Paul, the apostle. But even in that moment, he calls him to suffer. And actually, when I was reading through the passage, Paul's suffering and Paul's kind of journey actually reminded me of another story. So we've got Paul being welcomed and received even as a God. Um, then the crowds turn on him and they try and put him to death. They drag him out of the city and um, leave him for dead. But somehow he ends up getting up. Jesus 
when he was welcomed, uh, was welcomed into Jerusalem and was received as um, the Messiah. But the crowds turned on him and called for his death. And he was killed. And just when um, everything seemed like it was finished, it all seemed like it was over, he got up. And as we participate in the mission of the kingdom of uh, the mission of Jesus, um, we're actually called to become like Jesus. And suffering for Paul in this passage and for us is, is part of that. Paul writes later in his letter to the Romans, now if we are, uh, sorry, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. When we share in um, Jesus' suffering, we actually share in his glory. So a final encouragement um, for us before we um, finish up today. I think for me anyway, the first time I read through the passage, I kind of came to the end and thought, you know, was it really worth it? You know, maybe the people of Lystra, maybe Lystra was just more trouble than it was worth. You know, they um, were not even sure if they get to finish their message. It never says um, a great number of Jews and Greeks believed or and many were added to their number. And, you know, Paul ends up getting stoned. Was it worth it? A wee bit of a spoiler alert here. When we actually read on, we see that there were people in Lystra that believed. And Paul and Barnabas actually get to return there to encourage those guys and to plant a church and set up a church among them. And even later, we find out that Timothy, who you know, becomes one of Paul's close companions and is a future leader in the church, he's from Lystra. And you know, it's very possible that he came to faith as a result of these events. When we take part in the mission of the kingdom, even when you know, it doesn't seem to have gone well, God has a plan. I was actually reminded of this verse in Isaiah um, that says, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So as we take our place in the mission of the kingdom of God, I think we can be encouraged because, you know, one of the marks of the mission is that even when it is messy, it multiplies. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you have called us to be a part of the mission of your kingdom that we get to take part in what it is that you want to do here on earth to build your kingdom. I thank you that um, as part of that, we get to see miracles. We get to see you at work. And I just pray now that um, your kingdom would come and that actually your will would be at the center of our lives so that um, we would point to and, and glorify you. And even when things maybe don't seem like they're going well or when it's difficult, we thank you that you are actually still at work. 
building your kingdom among us. Amen.